The following is a continuation of the previous episode. Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this episode, we look at some characters in the Hall of Faith found in Hebrews 11. What can we learn from these characters? What made them so noteworthy? What opportunity do we have to be faith superheroes? We are all given an inheritance, but it takes courage to possess it and wisdom to steward it. When we walk in the Spirit, we fulfill the law, discover the joys and benefits of obedience, and find there is great fulfillment in pleasing God. Let's look at uh, Hebrews 12, 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. So we've got this hall of faith with Abel, who gave a better sacrifice. And his contrast is Esau, who was a profane person. Why was he a profane person? Who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. We saw the heavenly Jerusalem, where there were the firstborn. Esau was a firstborn. He sold his inheritance. He sold it for a bowl of food. Every one of us who've believed in the promise of God, every one of us who've believed and have benefited from the sacrifice of Jesus, the, the one sacrifice that takes away all sin, every one of us have been given the possession of being an inheritor. And it's, us, it's ours to keep or to throw away. Remember, the children of Israel were given their inheritance, but they had to go and possess it. Esau had his inheritance. All he had to do is possess it. But he sold it for a bowl of stew. And everything that we do that will get our inheritance thrown away, falls into the category, basically, of satisfying an appetite of some kind. Maybe it's a sexual appetite. Maybe it's an appetite for possessions. Maybe it is an appetite for uh, feelings or emotions. But he says, don't be like Esau. Verse 17, for you know, afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, many years later he decided, oh, well, I want it now. He was rejected. He found no place for repentance. We saw this in chapter 6. When is the day to repent? Today. When we know that we need to turn back, there's a window of repentance. And that window can shut. And when it shuts, the inheritance can be lost. The benefits can be lost. The consequences can be permanent. He found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. You know, at the very least, when we get to the judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be wood, hay, stubble, and gold, silver, precious stones. And there's no indication that there's a do-over. If we have wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to burn up. Let's rewind a little bit more. 
chapter 12, verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. If you've ever coached basketball like I have and you try to get people to play zone defense, you always tell them, get your hands up. You play zone defense with your hands up. And after about, I don't know, maybe 30 seconds, people will start bringing their hands down. You know why? It's tiring to keep your hands up all the time. And the first like 10, 15 seconds of a possession, they'll really move and and then pretty soon they're just standing there with their hands down. It's tiring. So this is, a, this is probably as close to basketball terminology as you can find in the Bible, but I'm just going to claim it, that zone defense is a good thing. The Bible says so. Strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Get strong and make straight paths for your feet. So what's lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people. That's an interesting thing, right? He wants us to be sons. He wants us to be servant kings, servant queens. He wants to be he, he wants us to live now as high priests after the order of the great high priest. He wants us to live now by faith as servant kings. And the first thing he says is pursue peace with all people. This is harmony at work. And holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You can't see God if you're immersed in the world. What you see is the world. You've got to come out of the world and then you can see God. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. God's grace is so amazing. He's given us so much. He's given us the power to overcome sin in our daily life. The indwelling Spirit. But if we harden our heart to the Spirit and insult the Spirit, as he talked about in chapter 10, it does us no good. And we just fall short of it. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. You know, bitterness in the tradition I grew up in was <clears throat> seemed to me embraced. My mom was awesome. She she taught she treated me amazingly well. She was a student of the Bible. Uh, she t- talked to me like an adult. Uh, she was a great mom. But I saw this happen to her. A root of bitterness sprung up, and it isolated her from almost everybody. And by this, many become defiled, lest there be any evil person like Esau. You've not come to the mountain that may be touched. You've come to Mount Zion. So listen to him who speaks. What Paul tells us in Romans 8 is that when we walk in the Spirit, we fulfill the law. The law was given to bring peace and harmony. The problem was it wasn't written in the right place. Where was the law written? On stone. And where does it need to be written in order to really change us? On our hearts. And this is all the law is telling us to do is to... Bring peace and harmony. And he's saying, make that happen, guys. Take the law written on your heart. Take the word which you've heard. Believe it. Do it. Let's rewind a little more. Go back to Hebrews 11. 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You're looking for proof that God's going to do what you want Him to do? You won't find it, except through the eyes of faith. He's giving us examples here. And He's saying, you've got plenty of examples to go by. Believe them. Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. Verse 5, By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. Many people think the two witnesses that are going to come back in Revelation are going to be Enoch and Elijah because both of them were translated up. They were beamed up. And was not found. Why? Because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe two things. One, what's the first one? That he is. What did God tell his, uh, Israel his name was? I am. I am that I am. I am. I'm existence. I'm the definition of being. I'm who I say I am. We spend a lot of time in theology explaining God. And God doesn't... And it's fine to describe God. But we don't explain God. Explaining God is putting Him under our rational reasoning and within the bounds of our, of our reasoning. And He doesn't fit within the bounds of our reasoning. He's God. He's who He says He is. If you want to please God, the first thing you've got to believe is He's God. This is Rudy theology. Young man, I've been, in, I've been in theological work for 30 years and there's two things I really know for sure. One is there's a God. And the other is it's not me. Profound. God is God. We are not got to believe he is. And the second thing you got to believe is what? That if you do what he says, it'll be worth it. Now, you will talk to people that will say, well, that's selfish. We shouldn't need a reward. We should just do it for the right reason. What's the right reason? Because we love God. Okay, that sounds great. And, uh, why, why would you want to do that? Well, because, you know, it's the right thing to do. Says who? Well, God. So do you care what God thinks? Well, sure I care what God thinks. So that means you want to please Him, right? Yes. And that's a reward, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I guess it is. See, it all comes back to we're all going to try to please somebody. And really, most of us want to please who? Who's the number one most one of us wants to please? Ourselves. And that's the spirit of our age. Self-magazine and self-everything, self-esteem, self-actualization. Um, that, that's what our narcissism is, the spirit of our age. And what you find is if you please yourself, you end up alone. That's what you find. If, if we have a whole world of people pleasing themselves, what we'll have is a whole world full of disconnected people. I think C.S. Lewis captures this in The Great Divorce in a great way. 
you got to believe that when you do what He says, it'll be worth it. And if you do what God says, it's, it brings a lot of pain in this world. You don't get to take shortcuts like other people do. Serving others is a lot of trouble. Most of the time when you serve others, they won't really appreciate it. You serve your children growing up. You discipline them. You withhold from them things that their friends are getting to do because you know it's not in their best interest. Do they say, I really appreciate you not letting me watch that movie like all my friends are. I know you know what's best for me. That would probably pollute my mind and there's no telling what trouble I would have later in life. You got to believe that what he's telling you is worthwhile and that's that it's that's going to and that's how you please God. You believe God's God and you believe that what he's going to do is worth it. That what he tells you to do is worth it. Noah, what did Noah do? He built an ark out in the middle of land. Look at verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of a place which he would receive as an inheritance. Leave your home. Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, evidence of things not seen, substance of things hoped for. Having seen them far off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly they seek a homeland, a new earth, a better administration, a reformed earth, a saved earth. And that's what he's wanting us to do. He's wanting us to live now the premises of God so so we can benefit now. And that qualifies us for this better administration. Because we are by faith being the high priest function under under the obedience of Jesus. We are by faith being servant kings or queens under the obedience of Christ. Actually, you could argue all of us are going to be queens. That's another really good picture. Verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He didn't want to be a son of this world. He didn't want to be a prince of Egypt. He wanted to be a better prince and a better son. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Is sin pleasurable? Sure, absolutely. Is it lasting? He understood that I want something permanent. And it brings affliction in the front end. It does. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, Moses, this is Moses, the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Why? He looked to the reward. Why? Because he wanted to please God. Because to please God, you've got to believe two things. That he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Chapter 12. This whole thing's been about Jesus. The whole thing's been about the better priest. 
who was made a little lower than the angels, but was lifted up above the name of all names and seated at the right hand of God, the better son, who made the better sacrifice under the better law that's written on our hearts, and the better king who is making a better administration, and the next time he speaks, he's going to blow up this world and put it in place with a better one. And he wants us to participate with him. He's given us that as an inheritance and a possession. Are you going to throw it away like Esau did? You're going to, you're going to throw it, leave it in the desert like the children of Israel did? Or are you going to embrace it like Enoch and Moses did and become great? Uh, I've been to Cooperstown, the Baseball Hall of Fame. I really like baseball. Not as much as Andy does, but I really like baseball. It was a real thrill to me to get to go. And I went through and looked at all the plaques. It was really cool. But I had no idea who most of those people were. Never heard of them. They're legends. They're in the Baseball Hall of Fame. I never heard of them. They're already forgotten. This group will never be forgotten. That's what I'd like to be. I'd like to be a legend in God's Hall of Fame. It's worth shooting for. Chapter 12. Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these great heroes of faith that believed God, even without receiving the promise, and they looked ahead and said, that reward, that'll be worth it. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Is it easy to sin? You bet it is. It's easy. And it's something worth laying aside. This is kind of like James's terminology. Let's lay aside wickedness and overflow of evil and receive with meekness the indwelling word which is able to save our lives. It says souls. But remember, anytime you see soul, you can substitute life. Pesuke. And let us run with endurance the race set before us. Paul likes the Olympics. Looking unto Jesus. He already ran the race. The author and finisher of our faith. He learned obedience even to death on the cross. And because of his obedience, his name was lifted above every name. Run like that. Despising the shame. Did Jesus have to endure shame? Lots and lots of it. Shame. Give me some. Give me some of the people that shamed Jesus. Shame is when you're you're rejected by someone because you're not living up to their standard. Peter. He was shamed by Peter. Jesus, you got to stop talking like this. You're upsetting people. You're not going to go and die. We all know that. Just get yourself straight right now. Who else shamed Jesus? The scribes and Pharisees. You make yourself out to be God, and you're just a lowly nobody. His hometown. His mother and brothers. The Roman soldiers. Gosh, is there anybody left? What does despise mean? Despise. It means you give it no value, right? Well, shame hurts. But Jesus gave it no value. Why? Because he was comparing it with something. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross. If you're up on a cross, you're buck naked. That's pretty shameful. You're up on a cross, you're dying in full sight of everybody. That's pretty, that's pretty shameful. He was beaten, bruised, bleeding. It's pretty shameful. He was mocked. You say you're going to rebuild the temple in three days, you can't even save yourself. But the joy set before him was to sit down. Who gets to sit down in the presence of the great king? Only one person, the prince. The queen even came sat down. Remember Esther? She went in uncalled for, and she was going to be killed if he hadn't put his scepter out. He had to go out of his way to say, I'm not killing you, because it was automatic death to enter the presence without being invited. And if you're invited in the presence of the king, you you got to stand or fall on your face. There's a great Mark Twain book called The Prince and the Pauper. And it's about a, a guy, a prince that gets lost and switched with, with a, uh, a guy that looks just like him and the pauper becomes the prince and the prince becomes the pauper. And the prince, uh, the, the, one, the real prince, who's now a pauper, um, gets uh, this guy who's a kind of a, uh, a, a low-end knight that kind of takes him under his wing. And he always makes him stand because you don't, you don't sit in the presence of royalty. And the, and the guy thinks he's kind of out of his mind, so he accommodates him. And so he does something heroic for the prince, who's now the pauper. And, he, and the prince says, I'll grant, you, I'll grant you a great wish. And he says, I wish to be seated in the presence of the king. Again, he thinks he's out of his mind. He says, you, you're granted. He's like, oh, thank goodness, I can finally sit down. At the end of the book, it comes to light that, um, that he really is the king. And this night is brought up, and he realizes what's going on, and he sits down. And everybody goes, <gasps> He must be stoned! He must be killed! And the king says, No, he's got that right. He's the only one. Because you don't sit in the presence of the king. But if you're the king, you can. He's the son. He sat down. His name was above every name. Run like that! Be like that! Because he learned obedience. He was given a word. He mixed it with faith. He learned obedience. And he saw that the reward would be worth despising the shame. This is a great heroic journey. I don't know if you've seen The Hobbit yet, but it's an awesome hero movie. And Gandalf says, A great evil is coming on the land. I can feel it. I've been saying that for some months. And Saruman believes that it takes great power to hold back great evil. But what I've found is it's the little things that hold back evil. Acts of kindness and love. I was sitting there saying, that's my speech. That's it. There's a great evil coming on our land. And it's the small acts of kindness and love 
where we can hold it back, at least in our sphere. And when we do that, we're running the race set before us. And we're following the path that Jesus gave us. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.